Amen. 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 What if the Lord today wanted to strike a fatal blow to the worry in your heart? What if the Lord Jesus Christ today, in these next moments, wanted to strike a fatal blow to the worry, to the worry in your heart. If you're worried today, you are not an island in the human race. It can seem as if worry from all kinds of different directions has befallen us. We can look at the medical side of things, the political side of things, the international side of things, the economics, on and on and on. We can make our own lists. But what if worry is not from God? The scripture says, and now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope, not worry, in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Would you join me for a few minutes this morning on this subject, where worry ends and hope wins. Where worry ends and hope wins. Worry is always tied to an outcome, a potential outcome of what might happen, of what won't happen, Worry is tied to a potential outcome, but hope is too. Hope is tied to the longing, to the desire, to the wish, to the expectation that things are going to be different for the better, different, different for the good. Here is where worry ends and hope wins. Here's where that happens. When you know the one who owns the outcome, and you know that that one loves you. That you matter to him. If, if worry is tied to an outcome, and you know the one who owns the outcome, and you know that that one loves you, and you matter to him, 
and the things that he spoke in his word to us, you have really embraced that you weren't the booby prize, that, that when God so loved the world and your name came up, he goes, oh great, that one. But you really have come to be convinced that in spite of what we act like, in spite of what we would be worth on our own, somehow, some way, he picked you out because he wanted you. He chose you because he saw something of indescribable value in you. And that he has done whatever has been necessary for you to be completely washed, completely forgiven, completely released from the penalty and the pain and the power of sin in your past that you belong to him, that, that, that he, it's, it would say, he bought you, he bought you. You are, you are a prize worth purchasing. And what was the purchase price? It was the blood of his only begotten son. That Jesus hung on the cross, died on the cross, his blood was poured out to purchase you, to buy you. The time came in your life where your eyes began to be open to who Jesus is and God's heart for you. And so in John 1.12 where it says, but to as many as received him, received as their own, embraced as their own Jesus, what he did on the cross it wasn't just a generic fix. It was for you and me. And he looked down through all the centuries and he saw what a mess was headed his way when he saw you and me coming. And when Jesus hung on that cross, every thought, every act, every revenge, every pursuit that would break his heart, still Jesus died on that cross with his blood being poured out for you before you or I had ever repented, had ever said, God, we love you, had ever been to a church service, had ever quit cussing, had ever quit all that other stuff. Where did it start? It started with him. And somehow, some way down through the years of your life, he began to convince you that he really is and that he really loves you and your heart was won, not by his meanness, not by his callousness, but it was won by his love for you and his tenderness for you. And your heart melted and your heart received what he came to bring, died on the cross to bring, was raised from the dead to bring, forgiven. Now that's, that's a long way around that same truth that we come back to. If he really is Lord, if Jesus Christ really is Lord, if it really is true that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, then he has the ability, he has the power, he has the heart to be responsible for the outcome of the circumstances in your life. When that drops 18 inches and settles within you, that the one who owns the outcome, you know. 
and the one who owns the outcome loves you, then instead of worry about the outcome, tearing you up and consuming you and holding you down and keeping you away from a life of hope, that is transformed into a sense, wait a minute, I don't have to understand it. I don't have to be able to stop it. I don't have to be able to fix it myself, but the one who owns the outcome of the circumstances and matters in my life, I know, and he loves me, and I am casting my trust in the direction of that one. I choose hope, not worry, in the midst of the things that I cannot control, that I don't understand, and that I can't fix. Now, with that somewhat of a lengthy introduction, I I want you to go with me to a couple of passages in your Bible. If you'll find the book of Matthew, first book in the New Testament, and I want to read the account of two storms that Jesus and his men were encountered by as he walked for those 33 years on this earth. And how instead of worrying, there came to be hope. And it wasn't an empty hope. It wasn't a vain hope. It had substance to it. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Now, that's, that's an important statement, and it's loaded. They're fixing to encounter a storm, and the storm was not sent somewhere else simply because they were following Jesus. In fact, it probably was that the storm headed their direction because they were following Jesus. Where did the storm come from? From God or from darkness? It came from darkness. Darkness is all about trying to thwart the purpose of God in your life, the plan of God for our lives. And that's what this storm was all about, an attempt to prevent the men from going to where Jesus said, I need you to go. But they weren't left helpless. When he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, the Sea of Galilee, that large freshwater lake known as a sea, but freshwater, Sea of Galilee, so that the boat was covered with the waves, but he himself was asleep. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord. We're perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and it became perfectly calm. And the men marveled, saying, What kind of a man is this? that even the winds and the sea 
obey him. Now turn over to chapter 14. Go from Matthew 8 to Matthew 14, and this is the second of the storms encountered by Jesus and the disciples recorded in Matthew. Second one. You'd think one would have been plenty. Why would he allow a second storm? And immediately, verse 22, immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. That was their assigned mission. You, will, you go ahead of me to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And after he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. But the boat was already many stadia away from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, take courage, it's I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, Command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind or seeing the effect of the wind, he became afraid. And beginning to seek, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, O oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind stopped, and those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, You're certainly God's son. I'd like to give to you this morning three or four statements that I believe could come from the heart of Jesus to any one of us or all of us who have found ourselves in the middle of a storm. Yours may be different than someone else's. Yours may have been of a different duration than someone else's. But the thing you and I need to get a hold of is the Lord Jesus Christ is no stranger to storms. He's not afraid of storms. When you find yourself in a situation that is beyond your control, it is beyond your mental frame of reference and being able to interpret, diagnose, and apply a solution. We need to let it in that just because that's happening in my life does not mean that the Lord has left me or that the Lord will never show up. 
In fact, many of us would say there have been steps taken toward Jesus that we would never have known we could take if it were not for the storm that left us helpless and hopeless. But in the middle of that, there was the crying out, Lord, save me like Peter. Lord, save me. Lord, rescue us. And he did. You're sitting here this morning clothed and somewhat in our right minds because the Lord did do a rescue for us, to us, when a storm came our way. Here's number one. Here's number one. If you're in a storm and taking from these two accounts that we've read, I believe Jesus would say this to you. If you're someone who's been trying to follow him, you hadn't done it perfectly. There may have been some swings and misses. There may have been some times when you looked away. But in his mercy, here's what he would say to us, I believe, today. You're not going down. You're going through. You're not going down. This isn't the end. This isn't going to kill you. This isn't going to destroy you. It's not all over. You're not going down. You're going through. How can he say that? He can say that because he is in the storm with you. He was in the storm with these men. Jesus wasn't going to die in this storm, and neither were those who were following him going to die. Satan did not have the power to kill Jesus, and Satan did not have the power or the authority to take out any of his men. Folks, listen. If you know the one who owns the outcome, and you know that one loves you, then when the the storm comes against you, instead of it being worry, there can be that unmistakable sense. I'm not alone. I'm not here as an orphan. He's here. Jesus is here. But to say, listen, if you've got this little narrow-minded, American-made picture of Jesus that he never gets his hair messed up, he never gets dirt under his fingernails, he's never in any kind of a setting other than perfectly calm water and everything green grass and, and alfalfa as far as the eye can see, then that, is, that has left you with an unbiblical view of the real Jesus. He knows about storms. He knows about what it takes to survive a storm And just because you're in the middle of one doesn't mean that he won't come after you and rescue you. This, I believe he would say, you're not going down, you're going through. Now that that can mean you're not being snatched up out of it, you're going through it. But what you will see as you go through it, my presence... And my power, 
And I will show you my presence and I will show you my power in a way that you're never going to get unless a storm hits. Folks, when, when, when you're going through deep weeds, you don't need a bunch of folks praying for you who've never been through anything. It's all theory, and it's good theory, and it's right. But I want to find somebody who's still got an arrow or two sticking out of them. They have a little bruise on their face because they've been through it. And because they've been through it, they're ever more convinced than they've ever been that if God has set me on a mission, if the Lord is saying, follow me to this destination, then I will not perish in the pursuit of that destination. I'm, I'm going through, I'm not going down, and He will make His mighty presence known to me. And I will know His power. To pro- you, you, you find folks like that will pray for you. And they're not going to come at you with a prayer, oh God, get them out of this, just get them out of this, this is so terrible, this is awful, get them out of this. <laughs> That's not how they'll pray. They'll pray, Lord, whatever measure of strength you need to get them, give them to get them through this, I'm asking you to do a double portion in them of what you gave to me. Whenever the Lord chooses to end it, it'll be right. I'm not asking to short circuit Cut short your plan of what you're trying to show them. Just give them the strength. Give them the strength. Give them the power of your spirit to continue to trust you and keep walking. You're not going down. You're going through. That's number one. Number two, believe the Lord would say, This storm isn't forever, but I am. This storm that you're in the middle of, this isn't where you're going to die. This isn't what the rest of your life is going to look like. This isn't to define you in all dimensions of your being. This storm is not forever, but I am. This was one night or two nights, two days and nights out of the lives of these men. Even though it didn't last forever, they were marked forever by what the Lord showed them in those seasons. Isn't he good? Isn't it good? Doesn't he know how much we can handle? And doesn't it seem like sometimes he'll bring us right to the brink? Of us going crazy. Sometimes even a little past that line. But then he says, he teaches us, he shows us. As the circumstances get ordered and the conditions of our hearts get encouraged and blessed and filled and refreshed again. We are, we are reminded that he will allow things for a season. To accomplish specific purposes, specific plans, but then that season will change. That season will change. That season will change. 
when you know the one who owns the outcome and you know that he loves you, then it's easier to trust him with the working out of the seasons in your life. It may take a while. It may have some surprises. It may end you up in some places you might have never gone unless the storm had hit. But he is the one who lasts forever. But the storm doesn't. Now listen, folks. The enemy will talk to us in ways that he knows are very convincing. And that's where the place of despair can hit. I've just got to give up on God, give up on all of this, because this will never end. This will never end. I'm going to die here. No, you're not. That's not the Lord talking to you. That is the enemy of your soul talking to you. We've got to know who's talking to us. He's called the accuser of the brethren. But when Jesus speaks, he will speak with a tenderness. He'll speak with a strength. He'll speak with a clarity. He'll speak with a sense of hope. I will not leave you. And I will not forsake you. Nothing can cut you off from the flow of my love. Nothing. The storm isn't forever. But I am, he says. Number three. Lock onto me. And hope will lock on to you. Lock on to me, and hope will lock on you. Go, go, go back to uh, Matthew 14, and let's, let's review again Simon Peter. When the disciples, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were frightened, saying, it's a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Do you know anybody well enough that if you just heard the sound of their voice, you would know who it is? They wouldn't have to say specific words, but you're so familiar with the sound and the tone of their voice that if you just heard the sound, you would know who it was. That was the case here. And as they heard the sound of his voice and they recognized his voice, they're recognizing this is the one whom they had said, that they had watched speak to lepers and lepers get cleansed of their leprosy, blind eyes being opened, withered limbs being straightened, ones who couldn't walk, getting up off the pallet, walking and interrupting a funeral procession and giving an only son back to the widow mom. It's me. Jesus speaking to the souls of his men. It's me. Don't be afraid. Folks, listen. What we're to get from this is that the Lord has a way of speaking to his sheep in the middle of a storm, in the way, in a way that you'll know it's him. 
And when you recognize his voice, worry has a way of dissipating and hope has in the middle of the storm. Do you see this? The waves were still crashing. The wind was still blowing. They're still out in the middle of deep water. Nothing has changed except for the sound of his voice. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. We cherish the scripture. We hold with high regard every syllable, every portion and part of the scripture. But there is something more than just having verses of scripture memorized and in your brain when you're in the middle of a storm and all hell is breaking loose. You're going to need to hear the voice of the Savior. And this is an example to us. It's me. Don't be afraid. Folks, i got to tell you, when Simon Peter heard that, hope blew up in his chest. He would have been one of the ones, the expert fishermen, who had grown up on the Sea of Galilee, and they understood the potential of what weather changes and high winds and, and, and storms could do. That it could mean the end of life. It could mean the overturning of boats, the sinking of businesses, and so forth. But somehow, this seasoned, weathered veteran of the natural circumstances, when he heard a voice, heard the sound of a voice coming from a position that made no sense, that was completely unnatural and totally supernatural, they see this form walking by them. It's pitch dark. Don't know whether it's five feet, 10 feet, 15 feet. There were no lights. This wasn't set up as a show. Probably overcast, no moon, no stars. The howling wind, the waves coming over the boat, and they see this shape the shape of a human walking on the water beside them. Terrified them. But look what happened. They were scared beyond words until they heard his voice. Child of God, do you know the sound of his voice? Sometimes it's loud. Sometimes it's soft. Sometimes it's in the sound of music. Sometimes it's through the word of a friend. But that's one of the things you get when you get saved. You get a set of receivers that you didn't have before. The Lord could speak all day and not get any attention from you. But when Jesus came to live inside your heart, you got some ears now that can hear the shepherd's voice. And I'm telling you, when the storm is the thickest and the night is the darkest and the enemy seems the most real, you get ready to hear a word to your spirit from the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, I don't know, if, I don't know, I don't know. That's because you hadn't been through anything yet that it might have been deep enough and dark enough where you knew my only way out is for the Lord, not God in general, 
for the Lord Jesus Christ to make a way. Now, folks, when you go through something like that, and you've come to be convinced that even though things in the natural are going completely the wrong direction, but there is, you have heard his word of encouragement. I'm here. Where I am, there's never defeat. I'm never defeated. Where I am, there's never defeat. You hear that voice to your heart. And you are changed forever. Because the enemy can threaten you with another storm of a different kind. But you know in your heart, I've already heard his voice. And he has been faithful to me. He has been big for me. He has rescued me. He has brought me through. And if what he did before, he'll do again. Mm. Lock on to Jesus. And hope will lock onto you. Simon Peter, Lord, if it's really you, bid me come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. The, the rest of the other 11, they at least for that moment were content to just buckle up, mouthpiece in, and ride this thing out. But Simon Peter, something within him, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. If it's you, it was something within him that just wanted to be as close to Jesus as he could get. The other men, that wasn't motivating them. That wasn't moving them. We don't fully understand what, it was, what was going on with Simon Peter, except that there was an affection for the person of Jesus Christ. He was a grown man with calluses on his hands, and he had worked hard and all those things, but there was an affection for the person of Jesus Christ. And he went for it. I hope I'm talking to some men that are hearing this. And some ladies that are hearing that. There can be others who just be content to stay in the boat and ride it out and hope for the best. But when there is a sense of the nearness of the presence of Jesus and somehow that sense of his voice to your heart, there is a surge within you. Yes, Lord. And as a result of that, Simon Peter ended up doing something that Nothing had ever happened like that in recorded human history. The molecules, unfrozen, supported the weight of a full-grown man. One step, another step, another step. Now let me tell you what that was. That was the Lord saying to Simon Peter, Step into my authority. Step into my authority. I believe he's saying that to some folks even this morning. Not after the storm is calm. You, you, you don't need that kind of faith when everything's smooth. But when the Lord by his spirit say, come on, Peter. Come on, big boy. Come on. 
And as Simon Peter got out of the boat, the same kind of power that was keeping Jesus above the waves is immediately transferred to Simon Peter. What Jesus was walking in, Simon Peter now was walking in. And the ones in the boat were just, well, Simon, get back here. Get back here. That's Jesus. That's not you. He can walk on water. You can't. Get back in here. Don't tell them what they might have been saying. It didn't matter. When Jesus said, come, he was inviting Simon Peter to step into his authority. That gets more fully known, fully, fully furbished. When the Holy Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, Jesus would say, you shall receive power after the Spirit has come upon you. Paul would write in Ephesians that Jesus has been raised up and seated at the right hand of the Father far above Every other name that has a name. But then in Ephesians chapter 2, he says, And you have been raised up and seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What that is intended to convey is there is a measure of the authority of Jesus. No longer on a cross. No longer a baby in a mother's lap. No longer suffering. No longer limited in any way. He's been restored to the full measure of his authority. And the scripture, blow away of all blow aways, says, and you and I are seated with him. Why would he say, this is how I want you to pray. You who are still on this earth, here's how I want you to pray. Come, thy kingdom. Be done thy will. It is as if he is saying, I have you there. Your heart in tune with my heart. I have you on this earth to enforce my authority. My authority for good. My authority for mercy. My authority for kindness. My authority for freedom. My authority for justice. It's loaded, folks, I'm telling you. The rest of the ones in the boat, all they knew was what happened to Simon Peter. He walked on the water. But what if when Jesus said, come, that could have been inclusive, inclusive of the whole boat and the whole lot of them could have emptied out and stepped into his authority. My brothers, my sisters, all hell may be breaking loose, But it's not destroying Jesus. All manner of confusion and difficulty may be coming your way, but it is not confusing him. When he says to you, come, he invites you to that place of close proximity to him and union with him. Along with that can come a measurable expression of his authority over your storm that he desires to impart to you. Did y'all hear that? So, so that? so that just as 
Jesus is not terrified. Neither are you terrified. Just as Jesus is not panicking, oh, when's it all going to be over? You'll quit that too. Come. Come. Come, Simon, and step into my authority. Folks, I've seen that. I've seen that in the lives of people suffering and struggling and going through things. And, and, and maybe the rest of the ones who would know them are just panic-stricken and, and all in disarray. And how can we handle this? But the ones who somehow have heard the Lord say to their hearts, Come. Come to me. Stand with me. There comes a peace. There comes a patience. Even with everything freaking out, there can still be a joy, a smile, even laughter. Because they're standing where Jesus is standing. And they are convinced that he owns the outcome. And that the one who owns the outcome loves them. Lord, would you convince us of that? Would you just say, Lord, will you convince me of that? That, that it did, Again, nothing in the natural has changed, but everything has shifted in Simon Peter's heart. That's where the change was. Folks, that's your birthright. Don't settle for anything less than that. We're not supposed to be moping and whining and stooped and scrubbed. Yes, this outer man is perishing, and, but the inner man is being renewed day by day. There are going to be some things physically that are just a part of getting older in this life. But there's an inner part of you that doesn't ever get old and quit. And that's the place where Jesus lives. That's the spot that he fills, your spirit being filled with his spirit. And you're 18 years old for the rest of eternity. So he says, come, come, step into my authority. I'm in your storm. You don't have to describe the dimensions. I know about it. I'm there. Come and step into my authority over your storm. The last thing that I would say to you that I believe the Lord would want us to hear again today. You're not going down, you're going through. This storm isn't forever, but I am. Lock on to me and hope will lock on to you. Step into my authority. And then this one. Understand that the outcome is never in doubt. Understand that the outcome is never in doubt. I told you a story last week of a wonderful couple that Shirley and I have known for well over 30 years in this city. 
And there was something that happened in the wee hours of a morning St. Luke's ICU that was strikingly powerful, profound, and in very, very real sense, life-changing for those who were anywhere near close to it. For a year, the husband had struggled with a variety of medical issues. I mentioned that to you. On January the 5th, 2 o'clock in the morning, in the St. Luke's ICU, the decision had been reached that the life support needed to be removed, and it was time for him to just go on to be with the Lord, at least from the human side. We, we release him. The wife, who was in the service last Sunday with the younger daughter, Stephanie, with Shirley, but I just got to tell this again. It's, it's, it, it's been such an encouragement to so many people from all over. I just need to say to you, in, in connection with this thing, that the outcome, the outcome is never in doubt. The first day that we're born, the last day that we'll live, David says in Psalm 139, is recorded in a book. Already written, when as yet there is not one day of those that we've lived. So the outcome of when we go to heaven is not something that Satan can interrupt. We're going when Jesus comes for us. The outcome is never in doubt. Gail, in the moments where the decision was made to take off the lights, life support, she couldn't look at her husband, so she was looking away in the ICU room. Her daughter and her husband were there, and they were watching her dad. Gail described in very striking and clear ways something that she was seeing. She said to us, this was not a dream. I was wide awake. This was not a vision. My eyes were wide open. But she said, I saw Heather, their daughter, who had been seriously ill from the time she was seven years old until the time she was 25, and she died at 25. She said, I saw Heather. Long, light brown hair, brilliant blue eyes, with her hand held up like this in the direction of where Gail was. She'd not seen that oldest daughter in all those years since Heather died, but she's seeing her now with her hand up. Then she said, I saw Al, I saw Al, her husband moving in the direction of Heather. But he wasn't frail. He wasn't weak. He didn't look like a hospital patient. He, he was strong. He was muscular. He was tall. He was big. He was moving. And he moved in the direction 
And he took the extended hand of that oldest daughter who had been in heaven for all these years. And Gail spoke out to Stephanie, the remainder or the second youngest daughter who was there in the ICU room. These are the words that she said. Stephanie, your daddy is dancing with Heather. Your daddy is dancing with Heather. And she said, I saw them spin. And that was the way it always was. We would always want Al, the daddy, to spin us. Little girls would say, daddy, spin me. Gail would say he was a great dancer. And he knew how to do those kinds of things. As, oh, as, 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 as she was speaking those words, as Gail was saying, your daddy is dancing with Heather, Stephanie looked over at her mom and said, Mom, he's gone. The doctor just came in and said, he's gone. Now, folks, here's what the Scripture says. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. At the moment at the moment, evidently, that Jesus came to release Al from that body, he was being taken with a daughter he hadn't seen in all of these years, and he wasn't sitting there staring at a scroll, you know, or memorizing something in Hebrew. He was taking the daughter that he had missed and loved, and he was dancing with her as they moved their way, went their way off into the distance. Now, I know folks can say, Pastor, you, 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 you're going you're gonna to say something as apocryphal as that is in a service, something as, as, as made up. All I know is, Gail, who had lost her husband to glory, and a daughter to glory, from that moment of the Lord showing her where they are, how well they are, and that they were recognizable, that Gail Though moments of sadness have come since then, there has come to be a supernatural peace and an expectancy and a joy that my day will come when I'll join them too. The outcome has never been in doubt. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you words of Jesus. I go to prepare a place for you and I will come again and receive you unto myself so that where I am, there you may be also. In between now and the time that he comes to get us, then we to understand that in this life, there are going to be some storms. But in the places of those storms, he stands in full authority. All authority over that storm he has. And he invites us to stand in the place of his authority as we go through our storms, realizing 
that he owns the outcome and he loves me. And if he loves me, he's going to only want good. He's going to only bring things together for good. Causes all things to work together for good to those who love him, called according to his purpose. It's by the power of his spirit that hope rises freshly within us. It's not something we're to manufacture or worry about trying to maintain. Now may the God of hope fill you up with all joy and peace in believing so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm praying that some of you who came in just really worrying will walk out of here with a little less of that activity going on in your heart and mind. There's a difference between worry and hope, and He is the God of hope. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for these, these accounts in Scripture that we're to glean so much encouragement from. Thank You, Lord, that You met Simon Peter, but that's an expression of how you want to come to us and call us out, call us forth, and fill us freshly with hope, powerful enough to neuter the strength of worry within us. Fill us, Jesus. Fill us, Jesus, with your Spirit. Fill us with your Spirit, Lord. Pour out your power upon your people, Lord that we may live in a way that pleases you and honors you with our faith and our trust in you, even as you know how we, we are without you. Fill us, Jesus. Fill us, Jesus. Fill us, Jesus, we pray. Amen. 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 Could I ask you to stand with me? Those of you wonderful family here in the... San Antonio Worship Center and, and those of you who are part of our streaming family scattered all over the place. You know, these last few weeks has been in a particular stirring in my heart that the hope that is ours in Jesus needs to be, needs to be strongly spoken to and encouraged. And just had lots and lots and lots of folks responding by Facebook and YouTube and others, and folks we may not physically see every week, but evidently the Lord's encouraging you. Thank you for being a part and praying with us. Bless you for your support in the different ways, folks, that you do what you do. 126,000 views of a message from a couple of weeks ago all over the world, all around. We're able to do that because you are faithful in giving as the Lord prompts you to give. And do that. I know you will as the Lord leads you. But these are days, these are important days, these are, these are significant days in the life of our nation, and there's never been a time when the church of Jesus Christ in America needed to stand up and stand out more in our love for Him and our calling forth in prayer His power to come and His kingdom to come. This is our time. This is our day. This is our Queen Esther time. For such a time as this, we are here. Lord, thank you for being with us. Thank you for the ministry of your word, of your spirit. 
And we pray that you will bless with hope each one who has heard this morning and has opened their hearts to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. If we can pray for you, please come this way. And prayer partners, join me if you would, please. And we look forward to hearing from you. If we can pray with you, Pastor Walker at alamocity.org. God bless you. We'll see you next time. Thank you for coming.